fact that we have a tune called Strathcathro. And those of you who are tune writers, one of you please write a tune, Nine Wells. That would. <laughs> some of us would appreciate that as it's our second home. Um, if you're a visitor here, you're very welcome. Uh, just one or two things before uh, we turn to God's Word. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. Uh, if you were on the SPA committee last year, good news is you're on it again this year. So please uh, speak to me at the door on the way out. If you're around in town on Thursday at, I think it's at 6 o'clock, the CLC bookstore, uh, the Solas guys are having a um, launch of uh, a new book that we have produced and Andy Bannister and myself should be uh, speaking at that. And speaking of Andy, he will also be speaking at the DECA service, which will be next Sunday evening, as we, we don't have a service here. Um, let's turn to, oh no, sorry, I, I also wanted to mention the record, uh, magazine of the Free Church. Uh, there are some old copies there you can have for free, uh, and the new edition should be out for next Wednesday. They're at the door there, you can get them on the way out. Now let's turn to God's Word, to Romans chapter 3. You find it if you're using the Pew Bible on page uh, 1131. And we're coming into uh, verses 21. I'm going to read 21 to 26. We're going to look at the first part of this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we look at your word. We pray that you would grant us uh, a spirit of understanding and of freedom. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would come and speak to each one of us here and that even as we receive from you your word, you would also grant your spirit to us and we would be renewed and refreshed and changed. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Last week I mentioned about uh, our lives being tranquilized by trivia. I quoted someone who said that they tranquilize themselves with the trivial and so they can lead normal lives. Well, this week we're going to look at something that's really important uh, that's not trivial. And yet it also involves, as, as Calvin puts it, tranquilizing. Paul takes up a very different principle, says Calvin, that the consciences of men will never be tranquilized until they rest on the mercy of God alone. Now what he's saying is this, it's very simple. Every single person here has a conscience. And although you may squash it, and although you may suppress it, and although you, so that you don't feel it, it is still there, and for each and every one of us, there's guilt. 
And as we saw last week, like we're on the psychoanalyst chair, we're saying, well, where does this guilt come from and, and how do we deal with it? And the answer is we don't. We can't deal with it. We struggle. We tranquilize ourselves with the trivial. But what we're going to look at this morning is the way that God deals with our guilt, deals with our sin, so that we are given rest and we are given peace in a real way. It's a bit like having a very serious illness and you're, um, you're given a painkiller for it. And that's good. I mean, it's good that you get a painkiller. It's good that you, the pain is removed. But I'll tell you what's even better. It's if the illness is removed so that you no longer feel pain. And that's what we're looking at here. Now, another question I was thinking of even when I was introducing this, I was wondering what are the most important things ever written, most important books ever written. And I kind of drew up a list and then I Googled it and it depends who you get, who Google it. Um, things like, and if you've read any of them, the Bible, of course, the Quran, the Communist Manifesto, Mao's Little Red Book, the writings of the Buddha, Darwin's Origin of the Species, um, maybe if you're a Scottish nationalist, the 1320 Declaration of Our Broth of Scottish Independence. I do know people here who've got that memorized by heart. Uh, the American Declaration of Independence. Maybe you and I have individual things that we think are so important that we would frame them and put them on our walls. Well, a guy called Leon Morris says that these words that we've just read, this paragraph in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, is possibly the most single most important paragraph ever written. And here's why. Because up to this point, Paul has explained to the Romans that whether Jew or Gentile, they are guilty before God. And in the previous verses in chapter 3, he just declared nobody's righteous, nobody, not a single person. So nobody here is righteous. No one can stand up and go, I am righteous, I'm fine, I'm okay. None of us are. And we could kind of leave it there, except look at what verse 21 says, but now, but now. And we read over these things and we read them very quickly. And these, these words, but now, are stunning words. The now refers to two things. First of all, it's logical. He's saying, you know, this is what human beings are like. This is what we've done. This is how religion of works doesn't save us. And we're stuck. And then he says, but the logical next step is this. This is what God has done. But it's also chronological. And what we mean by that is he's described how God gave his word through the Jewish people and how things have been brought. He says, but now... And he, he's, he's talking about Jesus. Now this righteousness from God has appeared. Now the, the verses up there, they're very dense. It's very packed. And there are preachers like Martin Lloyd-Jones who could go, well, we're now, but now, and the first letter is N, and we will spend three sermons on looking at the letter N. Well, we're not going to do that. I am going to try and unpack it, but I can't. I tried to put it into one sermon, but we're going to have to get the second part next week because I know that you, want, you will want home for your lunch. So this is the, the first part of that paragraph. And the first thing that we can say is that what we find in verse 22, that God's, the revelation 
of, good, of the good news is here. Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known or has been revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. This is going back to chapter 1 and verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. When he says, but now, he's telling us there's something new. But he's also saying, this doesn't go against the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets is referring to the Old Testament. Now, this is, this is very important for understanding the Bible. Some Christians think that what's happening is, you've got the Old Testament, it doesn't work out, so God gives plan B. But what Paul is telling us here is, this was God's plan all along. This is still plan A. Hebrews 1 verse 1, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. But now has been revealed. And what's been revealed? Jesus Christ has been revealed. The Son of God has been revealed. You can find the Trinity in the Old Testament, but you have to look pretty hard. It's there, but it's not explicit. But in the New Testament, it's very explicit, and suddenly you can make sense of passages like uh, Genesis 1, some of the Psalms, some things that are said in Isaiah as well. But this is what Paul is, is saying to these people in Rome in the first century and saying to us that now what the Old Testament pointed forward to has happened. It has been made known. And the, the tenses that he uses here are really important because he's not saying, now you need to know. He's saying, this is something that has happened. This is something that's in the past. This is something that is a historical event that actually did occur. And it's referring absolutely to the life and to the death of Jesus. Well, particularly the death, because he goes on to talk about his atoning death. So what Paul is saying, if you, if you follow the logic of it so far, he's saying we're all sinful, it's all a mess, God gave us the law, all that the law does is show us our sin, we're stuck, but now Jesus came and Jesus died. And so he continues, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The, the goodness from God, being cleansed, being forgiven, having your conscience made new, having a new start in life. That comes to those who believe. Back in verse 16, we've been told that this salvation, the grace of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, there's a problem in the original language because it's not clear, is it the faith of Jesus Christ or faith in Jesus Christ? So if it was the faith of Jesus Christ, it would say because Jesus was faithful, then we are forgiven. Or is it saying that we have faith in, G in Jesus Christ and then we're forgiven? And I actually think it's both. 
I think both things are there. Now, what does this mean to have faith and to believe? What shall we say then? Romans 9.30, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And here's an absolutely key thing to grasp that I think most religious people don't grasp, and I include in that most people in Christian churches. What Paul is saying in that, in that Romans 9 passage is simply this. The Gentiles had the law, the, the, the Jews had the law, the people of Israel had the law. They sought to obey the law as they should have done, but they didn't get God's righteousness. Why? Because they couldn't obey it. They couldn't keep it. But then the Gentiles, who didn't have the law, at least not in the Old Testament sense, they may have had it on their hearts, but they didn't know the Levitical and sacrificial system, that they've got God's righteousness. Well, how did they get it? And he's saying, because they believed. And who did they believe? They believed in Jesus. Now, let me translate that into today's culture and today's language. And it's very straightforward. You could come into this church this morning. You could have come here this morning and you know nothing about the Bible and you know nothing about Jesus. And as you hear this, you're thinking, I want that. I, I, I want that. I, I want. And when we pray, you pray. And you could walk out of this building a completely new being. On the other hand, you could have been coming to this church for years and you listen to the Bible. And you may read the Bible at home. You may even pray. You do good things. When we mention the rotas, you're up there straight away. Earning your brownie points, doing well. You're kind to your neighbor. You do the best that you can. You read Christian books about how to be the best at this or to be good at that. And yet, you're not right before God. Why? Because you're trying to make your own way to God and you're not accepting what Jesus has done. Now, you, 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 your heart is very clever and you justify yourself in this way by saying, oh, no, 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 I accept what Jesus has done. But in reality, you're not. And let me be a little bit stronger than that even. Those of you who are sitting here thoroughly miserable and morbid and fed up and depressed and thinking, well, at least I'm aware of my sin. I'm afraid you're wrong. And I'll tell you why you're wrong. Because in refusing to come to Jesus to take away your sin, you are showing as much arrogance and as much pride, even though you clothe it in humility, as the self-righteous religious person. This righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's very simple at one level. It's very straightforward, but it's also incredibly profound because it is the opposite of how human beings feel. We get good news. We need the good news revealed. That's good. Well, how do we get right with God? Well, of course, we need Jesus and we need other people and so on, but we can do something we can contribute. We can work out. 
or add to our salvation. And it's very hard for a proud human heart, and that is what each of us has, to say, I can't do it. It has to be through Christ alone. On the other hand, through faith in Jesus Christ, that's simply it. You could be here and, and there may be all kinds of mess and trouble in your life. There could be all kinds of difficulty. You may not have the greatest understanding in the world. But if you understand this and have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are right with God. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The righteous, this righteousness is revealed this righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ, and this righteousness is needed by all. Now, what's interesting here is he, he again uses a past tense which says that it's, it's a specific event that happened in the past. We all, it's all lumped together, all of humanity lumped together. And I, I think it's very clearly a reference to Adam and to original sin. Now, what is the, there's a teaching uh, called original sin. It's a, a strong teaching in the Catholic Church, but it's also a, it's a biblical teaching. Uh, it's a strong teaching in the Calvinist Church as well. And what is the teaching of original sin? People hate it. Um, it doesn't mean, as when I first heard it, I thought you have to find new ways of doing sin. Um, it's kind of a unique, a unique way of doing it. I've got an original sin. No one's done this one before. No, that's not what it means. It means back to the origin, back to the beginning. And here's the thing. As human beings, we are all connected because we are all in Adam. Mankind, humanity, doesn't matter your race, your culture, your background, we're all connected, we're all in Adam. And as we go back, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, you keep going back, back, back. Eventually we come back to Adam. We're all in Adam, and Adam and Eve were the only human beings who were born without sin or created without sin. When they sinned, from then on, all of humanity is implicated. Now, that's hard for people to accept in our culture because we like to think that people are born into this world with a blank, a blank slate. But we know that's not true. There's no evidence for people being born with a blank slate. You know, you see the wee baby, baby's born, you don't think, right, that's a blank, blank slate, everything else is just fed in. No, there are, we know now, of course, there are genetic characteristics and we know there's a whole range of different things. It's nature and nurture that go together to make a human being. But the trouble is, Every single human being born into this world is born sinful and with a propensity towards sin. And he explains it in this way. If you're wondering what sinful means, he says we fall short of God's glory. Let's just take a, a minute to think about what that makes, means. Back in Genesis, we're told that human beings are made in the image of God. God doesn't have a body, so it's not referring to our bodies. It's referring knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. It's referring to the fact that we are personal beings. It's referring to the fact that we are intelligent, that we are rational. It's referring to the fact that we are moral beings, we are responsible. You can look at any other animal, 
and they can be intelligent or not uh, to some degree. But they, they, they are not moral. There's a big thing just now, the big push uh, that's going to happen in, in our culture just now is all going to be about robots. And can robots be sentient? Can robots feel? Can, you know, um, uh, sorry, this is just bizarre for me but, and perverse. But um, there are, who else? Japanese factories right now making robot girlfriends. Because, I mean, to me, this is misogyny uh, and really bad, you know, because they'll do what you tell them to do. You can program and you say, there's reckoning they're going to be able to make them so that there won't be much difference. And I'm going, you're kidding me. That's, that's not going to happen. But and one of the reasons that we know it's not going to happen is because robots are programmed and they don't have, they cannot have a sense of morality other than it's programmed. We are not, human beings are not robots. I mean, I was thinking about trying, how to try and explain this. I went down to Edinburgh during the week and I was on the train and there was two ladies got on and the train was pretty full so they sat beside me and they were having a good blether they were going down to some conference and they were yakking away and they were really quite excited and the conductor comes along or whatever you call them now asks for a ticket, I get my ticket the lady beside me goes, oh, oh no, no, I bought it, I bought it and she's searching everywhere and I mean it was quite clear that she had bought it but she couldn't find it and the conductor just looked at her and said, oh forget it, it doesn't matter I thought, well, that's really, really nice. And then she found it and, and showed it to him anyway. And then I had got off the train, went down, and uh, walking halfway up the mound in Edinburgh, I thought, oh, it's awful cold here. My head's really cold. And then I realized my head's cold because I haven't got my hat on. I've left my hat on the train. Ran back down, barriers, you can't get through them. I've left my hat on the train, on you go through, son. You know, and get on the train, the conductor again let me on and got it. Now, why don't I tell you that? Because if that had been programmed, if the conductor had been programmed, no, I'm sorry, you don't have a valid ticket, annihilate, exterminate, or, you know, or yeah, lost your hat, too bad, you're not getting back over that barrier. We can't let you over barriers. Because in human beings, there's an empathy, right? There's something that's very, very different. And a lot of that comes from the fact that we're made in the image of God. Now, here's the problem. God created the animals so that it was good. Created the seas so that it was good. Created the veg vegetables so that it was good. Created human beings so that they were very good. The human beings were the apex of God's creation. There is absolute glory. Now you think about that. You watch um, the blue planet and you see how extraordinary this world is. Even spoiled by sin... And you think that's glorious. You can see the glory of God. You can, if you like going hill walking, you see the glory of God. Just go up just now to, you know, Glenshee or anyone. And walk along, you know, do, the, do that one where you go up the ski lift and you can do seven Monroes in one day because you're already at the top. That's, that's a nice cheating one. Um, and, and, but it's stunning. It's really, really beautiful. And you can see the glory of God. And you can see the glory of God in the stars. And then this, the Bible teaches this extraordinary thing. It says, yes, but. The place you see the glory the most is in human beings. And then you look at human beings. What, us? Smelly, ugly, cruel, wicked. Look at us. And we are, yet that is correct. We are to be the glory of God. 
Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And you might say, I don't feel very glorious. And you would be right. Because we fall short of God's glory. It's funny, you know, we say the way to encourage people is to tell them how great they are and how wonderful, what great people they are. No. I think the way for us to be encouraged is to come to the reality that we are meant to be so much better than we are. And we fall short of the glory of God. Now, the, again, the tense here is important because it's continuous. It isn't saying we did fall short. Now, he's talked about Adam, but now he's saying we continue to fall short all the time. We fall short of the glory of God. Uh, since you got up this morning, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Sitting in church, worshiping God, you're falling short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We fall short in different ways. I love what Bishop Handley Mool says. The prostitute, the liar, and the murderer are short of God's glory, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. In other words, you might say, I don't kill people. I've got a pedophile. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm generally quite a decent person and you probably are. And maybe the people who you despise, maybe they are down in the pit. And maybe you are up on a mountain or a hill, but you still can't reach the stars. And that's where you're meant to be. We all fall short. Every single one of us. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, says Paul, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So, we see the glory of God in a human being in Jesus Christ. The Son made incarnate. We sing in the carol sometimes about light shining from his face or glory shining from his face. I'm pretty sure that Jesus as a baby didn't have a glow, you know, kind of like the Weetabix glow or something. I'm pretty sure he didn't. But I tell you this, I'm pretty sure also that if you were in his presence, you would know and experience the glory of God. And that's what we are supposed to have and yet we fall so far short and so finally the righteousness is needed by all and the righteousness is justification by grace all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ okay this is the very key this is the this is if you grasp this and believe this you will be absolutely transformed Every single religion in the world, every single religion, including most forms of Christianity, where people have lost sight of this, will say to you, do this and live. So I, I listen to services on the radio. I shouldn't do it really on a Sunday before I come out to church, get so frustrated. Um, and, and I hear about the love of God and I hear about the grace of God and so on. But the message is still to me, you go and do this and you will live. You go and live like this and you will live. But you'll never do it. You'll never make it. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like, um, it's like doing an interview and waiting to hear, did I get that job? It's like 
doing an exam and waiting for the exam papers to come through the door. Or maybe another way, um, I don't know if you like MasterChef, but you know, one day I'll go on MasterChef and I'll be on MasterChef and I'll cook this amazing dish, baked beans on toast or something, uh, give it a French name, and uh, I'll, the, the judges, Greg and Monica or whatever her name is, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about it and, and I'll go and sit in the room, come back in, um, we're very sorry, but uh, two of you have to leave. And the first person leaving is, and the second person leaving is. And it's like waiting for that. And I think if, if you are thinking, I can do some good stuff and I'll sort some things out and I'll go and do what God tells me, and surely that'll be good enough. No. Maybe the other way of explaining it is just like being in a court, standing in the dock, waiting to hear the verdict. You want to know if you're going to be set free. But the gospel is not like that. The gospel is very different. The gospel is God's declaration. And that's why here, this idea of justification and righteousness is mentioned so many times. Now, what are they? They are two words that are very, very similar. Um, they, 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 they both have the same root. And Paul plays them. So being justified just means being declared righteous, being declared right with God. I like um, the shorter catechism, question 33. What is justification? It's an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sin and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. What does that mean? It's a legal term that's used in court. And what's happening here is, just as in this passage, Paul has gone back to Adam and said, we all sinned in Adam. Now he goes forward to the last day. On the day of judgment, when the dead are judged according to what they've done, and people are pronounced guilty, or they're pronounced not guilty. And Paul says, those who believe in Jesus that day of judgment is brought forward and they are now declared not guilty. They are declared righteous. The verdict is pronounced. So Christianity is not, you come to God, you come through Jesus, and then you see how you get on and you hang on. And on the day of judgment, you may or may not make it. Incidentally, that's the Islamic view of salvation. No Muslim knows they're going to be saved. In fact, on the last day, Allah is so capricious he could say, I don't care, you're done. But Christianity doesn't argue that. It says you, you, you're made righteous in Jesus Christ. Now here for me is a little bit of what I was trying to say to the kids that for me is the most mind-blowing aspect of all of this. It's not just forgiveness. See, I, forgiveness would be enough for me to know that I've been forgiven, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. But this goes beyond that. It's not just forgiveness. Why? I like the way it's explained in this way. Forgiveness is, you stand, it's as though you're standing in court and you're found guilty and then your fine is paid or something. You're forgiven. You can go. That, as I say, would be wonderful enough. You can go. 
you're forgiven. Justification, though, is you can come. It's not just that you've been forgiven. It's that it's all been forgotten. It's that you have been renewed. It's God saying, you are welcome into my presence. You're welcome into my holiness. You're welcome into my life and into my light. Forgiveness means you're not going to be punished. Justification means there's no ground for you to be punished. You can't be punished because there's no ground for you to be punished. And that's the difference. See, if I thought there was a God who, who could say, well, you're forgiven, you're not forgiven, you're forgiven, you're not forgiven, there's no real basis for it, then it, it's very, again, capricious. It, it's very, I'm not sure. But this is what the gospel is. It's telling us that Jesus died for us, that Jesus took our sin, and that not only did he take our sin, but he, the word there that uses imputed, his righteousness is given to us so that when God looks on us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There are many things that I think we find hard to imagine. You know what I find the real, one of the real hardest things to imagine? Imagine a life without sin. Imagine me without sin. Imagine not being able to sin, not having sin, not being a sinner. It's hard to imagine. And yet what Paul says here is that justification means you are without sin. You are regarded as being without sin because Christ died for your sin. Now we know that we sin and we know that we do sins, but it's just saying that Jesus has taken all of those. He pardons all our sins, accepts us as righteous. And that's why he says it's by grace. He uses a term of redemption, which is the slave being bought, bought back. It's a, a term that next week we'll look at and we'll see exactly how that happens. But again, it's the slave. It's, it, it's you being in chains. It's you being trapped. It's you being suddenly someone comes along and has the key and unlocks the chains and lets you go. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. But they are justified freely by his grace. And again, this is the difference between religion and real Christianity. Religion says, do this, say this prayer, do this fast, and then God or the gods will be gracious to you. Real Christianity says, no, no, it's free. It's God's free grace. And it's done on the cross. Now, I think those of us who are Christians are so used to hearing these words that we forget how marvelous they are. But this really is very difficult to believe. And I think many of us who are Christians forget it. And we seek, having begun by faith, we seek to continue by works. But it's a wonderful message. If you're not a Christian, let me explain it in this way. In India just now, there are six men who've been in prison because they were on a boat and they had guns and they were meant to be protecting the boat from pirates. And there's a whole range of different things going on. They're in prison. And I don't know if you saw any of the news stories, but... Um, uh, there, was just, there was a beautiful one of uh, the mother of one of them 
bursting into tears when she heard her son's voice. Mom, we've been set free. We're coming home. Just, it's just a lovely, lovely picture. And the guy himself being interviewed and just, just stunned that he was set free. Well, you have many problems in your life. You have many sins and many difficulties. There are things that are so wrong in your life, you don't even know what they are. You carry much guilt. And yes, you can go to a psychoanalyst and get help. And yes, you can deal with issues in your past. And you can deal with issues in your present. And you can struggle away. And you can become religious. And you can do a whole range of different things. But what's being offered to you here is something quite extraordinary. It is an absolute clean slate. You didn't begin life with the tabula rasa, a blank slate. But you get an absolute clean slate. You're absolutely forgiven. You're absolutely justified. You're absolutely put right. It's a fantastic offer. I mean, I think of all the offers that you get. It's, it's quite sick, really, at this time of year, that every day... I get mail shoved through my letterbox from people who are telling me that in order to celebrate the birth of Jesus, I need to get this phone. I need to get that car. I need to get this offer. I wish that everyone could get and grasp and understand that the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, ultimately comes to this ultimate offer that those who believe in him are justified freely by his grace. And if you're not a Christian, I ask you simply, we pray just now. Why don't you pray and ask the Lord to come into your life and to forgive you? And if you've got questions and stuff, feel free to ask and, uh, at the end. But really, this is it. This is the gospel. And it's great. It's great news for absolutely everybody. And for those of us who are Christians... Especially those of us who think we're theologically sound and justification by faith alone. We can say the words. You maybe even knew the catechism. Maybe. But I wonder how many of us really live this and really grasp it. I'm justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, this righteousness that has been made known, it comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. But now, but now, but now, I read the news and watch the news and uh, observe things that are going on, and sometimes it's just so, so depressing and discouraging. I think I need to have stamped in my head, but now, but now, but now. But now, because no matter your circumstances as a Christian, that but now is still true. Now a righteousness from God has been revealed. Now Jesus Christ came. Now Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now he was presented as a sacrifice of atonement. And now you are justified freely. Now you are redeemed. Now you have been set free. Now the judgment day has come and you've been pronounced not guilty because the beauty and the righteousness of Christ have been given to you. Psalm 27 verse 1 says this, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. 
you come to believe in Jesus Christ, then it is. Is it any wonder that Martin Luther said this is the very center of the gospel or that this is the mark of what a Christian church is? Every time you go to a church and the people may be nice and the music may be nice and, and even the, the good things that they're teaching may be good, but if they leave out that you can't save yourself and only Jesus can save and this is how he saves then they're not a Christian church. They're not teaching the gospel. But when you've got this gospel, it's the gift that you give to everyone. And I, I just, I leave you with this thought as, a, as a, a Christian. Sometimes you're thinking, what do you get? Like my parents, what do I get? You know, they've got everything. Or, you know, what do you get? I think my kids have got everything. They need nothing, you know. Um, that's not how it works. But you think, what do you get for so-and-so? What do you get for so-and-so? What do you get for so-and-so? And sometimes you might get a gift or you might receive a gift and you don't need it, you don't want it, it's not appropriate. Well, this gift is needed by everyone. It is appropriate for absolutely everyone. You came in here, you, you maybe 101 different things on your mind, yet this is what you need. So take the gift of God that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. And these but nows will absolutely transform your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you've created us as human beings with the capacity to reason and to think and to love and to serve that we are created in your image. We are created reflecting your glory. And we fall so far short of that glory. And even when we read your word, it just condemns us. And yet, we can say, but now. Yet we know just this absolutely incredible and wonderful news that you sent your son Jesus. And Lord, some of us here have never given our lives to you. And so we do so now. We, we pray that you would come into our lives, that you would forgive us. And we believe what you have said. And some of us, oh Lord, we belong to you. We've sought forgiveness. But we get so distracted by so many things. And the evil one seeks to devour us and trip us up. Help us to see that we are justified in you so that we can go from this place not seeking to atone for past sin but seeking to live for your glory now in your name, amen we're going to sing a song in advance of next week actually as well and this is how, this, all, how all this happens nothing but the blood of Jesus um, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as, as we sing this, just offer yourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing this and then please remain standing for the benediction.
show. 